2: Hello everyone, just a quick announcement, the book Loose Units, which this podcast is kind of a sequel to, is almost sold out in Australia. There's only well there's not many copies out there so what we want to do is head online or call up your local bookstores basically i want loose units listeners to mobilize and get this book entirely sold out because if that happens we get a second run and if we get a second run then dad and i have some seriously cool stuff planned so mobilize let's get that book sold out and enjoy the episode when i was a kid my dad was a cop You see, my dad was a cop in the 1980s in Sydney, which has been widely regarded as one of the most dangerous times to be a police officer in Australia. It was basically the Wild West. So I wrote a book about it. It was called Loose Units. And then we did a podcast about it. Loose Units Season 1 was an incredible experience, and we loved every minute of it. But it turns out that dad did more than just patrol the streets. He plunged headfirst into the terrifying world of forensics. So on this season of Loose Units, that's what we're doing. We're going deep into the world of forensics and fingerprints and all of that good stuff. Well, I say good stuff. Actually, things got worse than ever. So strap in for Loose Units Season 2, Electric Blue. Hello everyone and welcome to another horrifying episode of Loose Units 2, Electric Blue. I'm Paul Verhoeven, your host, and with me is my ex-cop dad, John Verhoeven. Dad... Last week's episode was harrowing, mm. really harrowing. So yep. I, I asked you to pop together kind of like a degustation menu for me where you would actually write down prompts for mm. yep. the dishes or cases, if yes. you will, that you thought would be a bit lighter mm. and you've got written at the top. There's of the nothing per-
3: light in this series.
2: Yeah, though. but I asked for light and you mm. you just wrote written headless body. This is not light. Look, but that's what I'm saying. You've you've aired and I would like you to... Is that like erd? Is that not how you pronounce it? No, it's erd. You sure? No.
3: All right, so what would you like me to...
2: Well, like I said, I said come up with something nice and fun and frothy yes, to yes. Ca- counteract the trauma of last week's episode, mm. and you've just written Headless Body. Correct. So I would like this story to have a kind of upending, but but mm. I trust your judgment. Thank you. So without further ado, please regale our listeners with the story of the Headless Body.
3: Okay, well, look, um, as um, the listeners mm. of this wonderful series season two <laughs> i believe this is episode five, five. wow golly yep. we're really getting into it mm. so i gave it a lot of thought now as the listeners know i was involved in uh, forensics and a particularly interesting case now it was weird in that we used to finish around about 5 p.m yep monday to friday and then we we're on on call mm. and then around about 11 o'clock one night bearing in mind i was relieved assist so i was sort of like the third guy mm. um got a call sworn to secrecy and um we you,
2: you're going to ruin that now
3: well we were sworn to secrecy <laughs> okay. that night there's a
2: statute and, of and, and
3: and and I, I was picked up uh, by my colleague in uh in the station wagon that uh, I had alluded to in a previous podcast because yes. that was the standard fare in terms of transport so we could fit all our little boxes of interesting of, things uh, in and the thermometers back. it's
2: just it's it's
3: anal thermometers mass holder breakfast correct Yep. And um, got picked up and drove to a location. Now, this is a really weird story. We drove to the Kuringai National Park. I know it well, but for people who aren't from New South Wales, what, what is it like? How big okay, is it? Okay, Well, it's a national park and it's um, on the outskirts of Sydney mm. on, on sort of the northern beaches, north shore part of Sydney. Yeah. And it was super dark. I mean, it's nighttime, obviously, and people might go yeah that's but it was actually there was no moon so it was actually super d- you're laughing paul
2: yeah i just the just, describing the concept I mean, of dark hang on a sec paul
3: <laughs> Paul, well, um, if there was a moon, yeah. like, for example, a full moon, sure. it would not be super dark.
2: But as you, as we've established, there was no moon, correct, and therefore it was super extremely dark, extremely dark. Now, just quickly, Karingai, uh National Park. Are we talking? Uh, are we talking mangroves? Are we talking? No, 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 no. Right. So, what kind of
3: um- um, mountains? Oh shit! And uh, gum trees. Okay. Possibly koalas, but we didn't see any.
2: Very Australian.
3: Yeah. Very. <laughs> Anyway, uh, it's really uncool for me to laugh going into this dark story because it sounds as though I'm not, you know, as I'm well taking the whole thing fairly with
2: with a bit of brevity. We've talked on the podcast before about gallows humor mm. and about how you cope with things. Mm. By Look, Mickey this story is, it's it's a wacky story. Oh, good. So we were given
3: these bizarre instructions because there are really no signs in the national park. Once you enter the national park and you head up in, into sort of into the the eerie. Sort of no man's land. Is this, hang on, is this the enclosed national park in D.Y.? No, that's.
2: What's that one called?
3: um, You know the one I'm talking about, right? I know, yeah, that's... no. No,
2: The reason I mention it is because we lived... um, Listeners don't know this, but... That was
3: called Stony Range, Flora and Fauna Reserve. Well
2: remembered, and we lived on the back of that because we were the caretakers at an Anglican school for Private girls' school. Private girls' school. Mm. And uh, you could crawl over the fence during the school holidays and get straight into the National Park. So what I was worried about was I was playing in a National Park where you'd found a headless body, but that's not the case. No, no, no.
3: Okay, great. But you don't know yet that I found a headless body in the National Park. I mean, all the pieces of That's an there. assumption. <laughs> anyway, so we were given these really bizarre sort of clues uh, to get to this. It was like being on a, ra- a rally with really just like... It was fairly cryptic. Who and gives you the cryptic clues? We were given though? these cryptic clues by some detectives. They basically told us to meet them at a certain point in the National Park and... Once we met them, they would then instruct us as to what was required. So, at this point in the story, it's nighttime. Um, I'm sort of wide-eyed and, you know, pretty excited thinking it's obviously we're we're in forensics. We're heading into the middle of nowhere on the outskirts of Sydney. We don't know what we're doing. We just know that we're meeting some detectives. So, eventually we come to some unmarked cars and it turns out that these detectives, they weren't local detectives. In fact, the local police had been kept out of the picture, which oh. is a little bit weird. Normally, the local Ds like to be kept abreast of everything happening in their t- on their turf. The local what? Ds. D for detective.
2: Oh, was that... A- I didn't know that was a... That was so,
3: a- can you imagine the letter D in uppercase with an apostrophe then a small s? Yeah. Ds. Uh-huh. That's what we used to affectionately call... Detectives? Huh. You haven't heard that before.
2: Never. Fascinating. You never mentioned it during the writing Isn't that of the book? Amazing. Yeah.
3: Wow. So anyway, we met the Ds, but these particular detectives were from the homicide squad, and I rarely these homicide squad detectives in New South Wales were regarded as minor deities. They were exceptional on so many levels. Yeah. Uh, to, to get into homicide, you had to uh, be the absolute, uh, you know, creme de la creme of of detectives. They had to be super smart, be able to remember incredible detail and be um, tenacious and and brilliant. How do you make a foray into being a detective? You start off in detectives training, A list, which I did. Yeah. And you, if you're fortunate enough, you become a uh, detective. And then you work your way up. And you are, uh, I don't think you ever get to apply to join Homicide. I think you're invited. Oh, okay. It's
2: like the wand chooses the wizard.
3: Yeah, that's right, and and these uh, you know I I met a few homicide detectives over the years, and I had nothing but admiration for them. They they were exceptional.
2: Homicide detectives, homicide, well, homicide, yeah, homicide. We've talked quite frequently about um, certain strains of uh, of the the detective wing of the police, mm. where you have found some really awful characters. But what mm. you're saying is there are some really great ones oh, as phenomenal. well. Phenomenal,
3: you know. The, the, the different squad tended to determine what type of perhaps person you were you know like there was the armed hold-up squad there was uh the consorting squad which we've touched on in 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 the first series yeah um anyway so we met these uh detectives and they made it very clear to us that um we were uh under under extreme uh scrutiny in terms of never to divulge what we were about to to encounter sure and uh it was on that night it was summer uh that I recall, they had a uh, a guy with them. In he was handcuffed, so he was in custody. And boy, oh boy, he was a freaky, scary guy. Could you describe him? Um, he would have been probably around about forty, and he looked like a um. Look, it's weird generalising, isn't it? But you know, he had that air about him. He was dressed in prison greens, because mm. in New South Wales, at least, uh, Long Bay Jail, um, the colour of the the outfit they wear is that that. That green.
2: Yeah, I'm. I, uh, dad's staying with me at the moment, and I entered the room this morning wearing the Hawkins PD, um, the Phys Ed uniform from Stranger Things, and it's this lovely shade of green. And rather than saying, Hey, cool clothes, Paul, dad said, Oh, prison greens. Mm. So you're saying that I look like I'm from a prison?
3: Well, it's, it just happens to be pretty well the same color. Oh. Um, which is, which is an aside. So he's in prison greens, he's handcuffed, he looks somewhat, uh, disheveled. Mm. And now this story, I'm just trying to figure out the best way. Do I, do I tell the listener who he was? Um, yeah, look, I'll, I'll, I'll just move in a little bit as to this guy. He had been taken from Long Bay Jail that night. Sure. And he had told, he had information, because quite often in life, if there's been uh, a murder, sometimes the government of the day will grant amnesty. Yeah, sure. Or a pardon to those people that can give them information as to uh, the whereabouts uh, of a body, for example, where a crime was committed, providing they weren't actually the murderer. So this particular guy said uh, that he had heard on the grapevine in jail in his time at Long Bay Mm. that he'd become aware of a particular uh, victim of a murder and he'd heard that he knew or he said to the homicide squad that he actually knew where this particular guy was buried. Now, it was fairly difficult for us to find on this road the police that were waiting for us. And then as the story will unfold, you'll begin to realize that, well, I think this guy perhaps had been at this particular scene during what I'm about to tell you. And why do you say that? There's no way on earth someone could have been told a particular story and then taken the police to this particular point on an unmarked road at night time, in the excuse me in the in the bushes in Sydney. Anyway, so we all started traipsing into the bush and we're walking through thick, thick scrub at night time, and I'm thinking, what on earth's going on here? We just had torches, and we're walking for probably maybe. 100 meters yeah. We're truly in the middle of nowhere And then this particular guy who's in custody He tells us all to stop And we all stand around And they point the torches down And he says Dig here So everyone looks at me So I had the job With my little shovel Because we have been told to bring some, uh, some Shovels and things So yeah. that sort of was a bit of an indicator mm. And I started digging And I got down around about maybe 18, maybe 20 inches.
2: Are they all just watching you dig? Yeah, they're all standing around. That seems... there's no one's talking. Are you wearing the the suede shoes from the last episode? No, no, no.
3: I was wearing... um, mm, Let me think. I may have been wearing overalls. um, Strong look. Because I was... uh, You know, I'd been told... um, Well, my boss had been briefed that there may be a bit of digging involved, but he hadn't told me. Okay. And um, so I'm digging away. And then uh, I'll never forget. I uh, I found a zipper in the uh, in the dirt, and as I began to dig, I had the most unfortunate uh, situation of discovering a uh, uh, well human remains, and uh, it was heavy duty, and uh, I worked for some probably maybe 20 to 30 minutes, and I was hmm. the only person in the hole. So I was actually sort of in the hole with this uh, with a skeleton. Oh, skele- a skeleton? Skeletal.
2: Right, what was it? it where? Was... Do you remember what, what it was? Just there? not
3: just clothes, you know, just pretty basic. Yeah. But um, you, know, you know how you get the sense that if you've sort of you, – I could figure out the top and the bottom. I could figure out the feet, yeah. the legs. But then, you know, you tend to think that um, around about the chest and above the chest you're going to find, you know, a head.
2: It's basic maths. Yeah, yeah. and there
3: was no head. So then we had ascertained that uh, it was a headless body, mm. and uh, further uh, investigation by me mm. re- realised that in fact there were no hands. So that it was headless and handless.
2: Now, just just quickly, from an outsider's perspective, that seems like the best way to dispose of a body and have no one identify it, because you can't get dental records, you can't get fingerprints. Correct. Is that yeah. is that was I am I right? Is that yes, yeah, spot
3: on. Okay. Uh, I guess I can just. Creep forward a little bit in saying that the modus operandi of this particular of the murderer, yep, his M.O. Mm. was always to remove the hands, and he uh, always shot, or generally shot the uh, the victim, and then taking the head with him would then, because generally the bullet would be still inside the the skull, right, and then if you take the head with the bullet inside it, there's no ballistics evidence, and you'd get rid of the head somewhere else.
4: to find out if it's right for you.
1: One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes.
4: Nice dress. Uh it's a it's a t-shirt.
1: Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care.
3: Well that's actually not so silly but that reminds me of another story that we'll touch on later.
2: Sure. Okay, so at this point you've got a headless handless
3: skeleton. Yeah, sort of wrapped, dressed in 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 fairly um standard We're talking clothing. Casual or formal or no, no, just neat, you know,
2: casual I suppose, neat casual perhaps. Sure. And at this point like how does the Are you paying any attention to the person who directed you there at this point? I'd occasionally look up at him and he'd be just
3: sort of, you know, standing fairly blankly. Wasn't upset by the whole thing? No, not in the slightest. Okay. And I'd already figured in my mind that he'd actually been at the scene of the murder. Right. That was pretty obvious to me. Mm. Anyway, so I'm working away and slowly revealing the entire body. Yep. And then uh, there was this silence that sort of like a pall of silence that fell over the group. So I guess there would have been all up maybe 10 people there. We're all standing around. I'm in the hole and then it became fairly clear that there was this kind of a noise and a, a bit of a weird glow not coming from I know what you're thinking because I can see as your I can see your eyes getting wider. Um no, not from inside the uh, the hole
2: i didn't think the body was reanimating magically in no, front no, of no. you but
3: i mean it was pretty pretty freaky I and mean, that'd be that'd be pretty cool yeah but the the uh, the we became aware that there was this uh like a bit of a bit of a noise you could hear hear twigs breaking and, and there was a light and the light was getting stronger and stronger right and everyone's going what on earth is happening we're in the middle of nowhere exhuming a headless body from as it turned i'll come to that later but okay the thing is we're all sort of Trying to be quiet and figure out what on earth's happening, and 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 the bush is literally starting to glow white. Holy shit! Do you know what it is? Do you know what it was? No. There used to be a show on TV on Channel Ten called Harry Potter's Live Eye, not the Harry Potter you're thinking about, but Harry Potter the news. It was like he was like the crime uh, sort of. He was an amazing guy, and he used to do the crime reports every night on Channel Ten, and his name, I, well, I'm quite sure it was Harry. His his surname was definitely Potter.
2: You think it's like Harry Potter, the journalist who lived. Are you...
3: Is this real? Yeah. And he's coming with a full crew. What? And they've got the the big spotlights on the big cameras and it's live TV. Oh, fuck. Really? Yeah. And we're being being beamed in live to Channel 10. No, no. This is so bad. (laughs) No, it's really... It's fucked up because you'll begin to realise... It's an active
2: crime scene.
3: But not only that. Look, detectives back in the day used to be called the Glory Boys. I remember, so I, yeah. You know, we... I, they used to love a bit of you know publicity.
2: Oh, so they they probably
3: well, someone in the group had no. actually notified Harry Potter. I'm, shit, was his name Harry? <laughs>
2: Fucking Harry Potter! Anyway, oh like... Jesus!
3: Anyway, no, it's really throwing me because oh, I'm no, just the... picturing Harry the, the 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 book character coming along. Yeah,
2: who he, you remember? He found that body under the stairs. Let mm. me just we can look that up later, but look, yeah. for now, so you think one of the Glory Boys wanted to hang on when you. Were they like, did they have their hair done? They were looking pretty spiffy. They always it... look good. Right, but I mean.
3: You... Homicide detectives, they wore three piece suits. They were always, you know, pretty suave. Sure. Okay. So, you know, the, the full blown, and unfortunately it was um, Channel 10's live eye. Oh so, you, you know, they, you just, the fact is that you're on live, you're being beamed across, God knows. And it was really heavy because, look, at the time it was weird, um, you know, a little bit exciting. I'm sort of, and they're, they're filming me in, in the hole. Sort of looking up this sort of young, sort of wide-eyed, you know, junior forensics guy, sort of looking up at the camera, and they're yeah. filming me. And um, anyway, so we go back to the uh, to the office, and the next day, um,
2: hang on, sorry, I just want to find out, like, what what are you doing when the, the, you cover the body and tell them to leave? No, like, oh, what- no, no, we uh,
3: you know we we collect
2: the remains. Yeah, on camera. Well, I. Uh, I'm not
3: sure they—they they probably didn't film the entire event, but sure. they got a, a lot of it. They got it, yeah. Okay. Can... Okay, so this is all the listeners out there are going, yeah, that's 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 an interesting story, but here's the the heavy part of the story. Okay, so that's the bit of brevity and lightness that I've injected into this
2: episode. Well, I mean, there was a headless body, but otherwise, yeah, it was pretty yeah, light, well,
3: you know. But but it was a fairly jovial uh, yeah, atmosphere. Yeah. 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 What happened to me the next day and my colleague is that we uh, received a phone call from Internal Affairs Uh and we had to go in and be interrogated by Internal Affairs because it turns out that it was part of the Stuart Royal Commission into Mr Asia. Uh, Terence Clark, who was the Mr Big in the world of heroin dealing. We're talking the number one badass in the world. I mean, you've got you guys in South America, but this guy was super super bad and he his mo was he just used to murder people and he was a contract killer and he started off as a two-bit petty criminal in new zealand and he just worked his way up and he he uh he was a really really bad guy and They'd never been able to track this guy down because, as I said, every time he killed someone, he'd either completely, um, well, he'd shoot them in the head. But in England, he uh, he called over one of his um, cohorts from Australia and yeah. it, to entice him. He said they were going to be involved in a massive heroin deal in England. And what he did was he, he had him murdered as well. And that particular body was put into, I believe, a Jaguar. Uh, so he was, he was bashed and shot, put into a, a car. Then he was, they were... While he was still inside the car, he was then, the car was wheeled off a cliff into a quarry that had water in the bottom of it. And they thought that'd be the end of it. But what happened was some recreational divers were diving in the pit and they realized that this Jaguar had not in fact gone right to the very bottom. It had been caught on a ledge and they looked inside it and saw a headless body that it turns out Mr. Asia, Mr. Clark had murdered. They exhumed and sort of, you know, got cranes in and pulled the the Jaguar up and managed to identify this particular cohort of Mr. Clark, Mr. Asia. So we ended up having this massive royal commission, a very, very famous royal commission. And um, obviously uh, the judge in charge yeah. was really, 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 really upset because this was a covert um, secret operation to exhume and work on some, some major, major crucial secret sort of, you know, criminal investigation that we were all working on. And then all of a sudden, it's beamed across national news oh, with sh- Potter's live eye. Shit. So Mr, uh, you know, the, the the judge was, as you can imagine, he would have uh, woken up the next morning to, it was splashed across the front pages and it was on TV. And there's this footage of me in this hole uh, digging up this headless body as part of the Mr. Asia drug in um, sort of Royal Commission. Now, Royal Commissions are, are, are no lightweight event. You know, you can compel people to give evidence, and it's and it's the big league. So he was totally, totally pissed off. And then all the police that were there that night were, were then interrogated by Internal Affairs to find out who had contacted the media. Yeah. And, of course, I hadn't. Well, that was laughable. It still had to go through the process. Mm. Okay, so that's my little Mr. Asia story. But then years and years later, your sister, lovely Anne, yeah, yeah. she, because uh, we had this weird rule. You kids know that we didn't have a TV for years, and then when we did have a TV, you know, we'd only let, let you watch certain stuff. And
2: basically, it was ABC and SBS. ABC
3: and SBS. And I actually said that to a particular person some months ago, and she turned around, turned around to me and said, "Well, you're a bit of a wanker, aren't you?" Which I thought was a bit, a bit well, a bit tough and a bit rude. But that aside. That These were the family rules. And a couple of years ago, there was that TV show, Underbelly. yeah, And that was banned in New South Wales. Why is that? Because it was so controversial in terms of, you know, the Sydney underworld. But you could see it, funnily enough, in Melbourne. So, when it eventually did make its way to Sydney, I remember one night on our television, Anne said to me, she said, oh, Dad, um, this Underbelly thing... And they were actually having a, a scene of um, they were actually showing a scene from Underbelly, and it was like a, a like a a promo. Yeah. And the scene is a police officer in a dust jacket in a grave <laughs> exhuming a headless body. And Anne said to me, "Oh, Dad, um, you know what? Do you do you know anything about this? Like." Because I've always banged on about, but kept things fairly, you yeah, know, vague, vague, and and because one doesn't like to uh, distress one's one's siblings, mm. uh, children, but um, and I said, Anne, I said, look, you're not going to believe this, but that person that you've just seen on the TV in that promo for Underbelly, that was actually me, and that's I think that's staggering.
2: I cannot quite process that. I I think. Did you ever end up watching the episode or tracking it down? No, I never watched the series. I would be curious to see who played you. I'd also be curious to see several things. I'd like to see the news footage from the boy who lived. Mm. And I would like to see the episode and see who they cast and see how they did it. Um, Did you ever find out who tipped people off? No, never, never, no. But it definitely would have
3: been one well, of the detectives. Well, look, it's a tough one. Um, it could have been one of the local detectives that were pissed off that they weren't included in it. You just look, you just don't know. I can't imagine homicide,
2: uh, but you just don't know. But it was weird. So, I guess I have a question about this Mister Asia character. Is he still alive? No, he died in uh, in custody.
3: In nineteen seventy nine slash nineteen eighty in England.
2: Wait, so he would have been dead by the time this body was found?
3: Yeah, he was dead. I w- this when I was exhuming this headless body as part of the Stuart Royal Commission, that Mid- would have been around about 1983, 84. So this body had been ostensibly in the at least buried for maybe four or five years. But here's something a little bit a, a little bit interesting. Yep. The night that this particular guy was murdered mm. and buried on the northern beaches. Yeah. This is freaky. Mr. Asia then drove to Avalon, which is a suburb fairly close by on the northern beaches of Sydney and kidnapped the guy who he'd just murdered, the guy that I exhumed. He kidnapped his wife and he took her to the Blue Mountains, which is west of Sydney, and murdered her. How's that for heavy?
2: Why did he do that?
3: I don't know, but he he did. So, it's a, you know, he murdered a lot of people. Right.
2: Okay. Well, I mean, this has been, frankly, one of the strangest episodes of this of this podcast mm. ever. And we've done quite a few episodes. Christ, I feel, I'm very, I feel winded after that. Hang on a sec. So I guess if any listeners to Loose Units, any of you have actually seen, um, seen the underbelly scene in question, uh, feel free to hop on the um, Loose Units Facebook page and start posting because I want to see if this character looks anything like you, uh, because technically that means you've been on TV. Mm. That means that you are part of uh, the Underbelly TV show. Exciting, Paul. Yeah. And, uh, well, I mean, we end every episode with this segment, but I'm particularly excited about it today. Okay. Here's a question from a listener. This is from Violetta Embagia. I'm writing a crime novel based in Melbourne. I'd love to know what kind of forensic testing is conducted as a preliminary analysis of a crime scene. Mm, That's a good question. Okay. Are we talking about now or then? Uh, that's a good question. Yeah. I would say we should probably, given your expertise, are on the side of then for you, although mm. I'm guessing there's going to be a lot of anal thermometers. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: <laughs> well, look, um, the, what? look, obviously one of the key things about um, a forensic investigation is that it has to be a fairly important and major crime, okay? Mm. You know, you can't waste those resources. So we're talking, you know, shootings, yep. stabbings, arson, um, kidnapping, Um, you know, any terrorist situation, anything where, you know, it's it's a major crime and there's going to be a possibility Mm. of finding incriminating evidence. Now, you might still have the person in custody, but you still need to create the case. So the prosecution are going to require lots and lots of evidence. Yeah. So you're talking DNA, you're talking spittle. So if the person was, for example, smoking a cigarette and then he discarded the cigarette butt, if he used the toilet, there can be stuff trapped in the system. Obviously, anything the person touched, the clothing, the fibres, hair, scrapings underneath fingernails, look, it's all... And the, the key in any forensic investigation is that the scene not be... Um, contaminated. Contaminated. Yeah. And there was a very, very famous case in Sydney. Not sure whether I've ever mentioned this to you, but it's a particularly... Well, it's kind of... It's a bit sort of... So, I don't know whether I should talk about it. But look, I won't go into the details. Suffice to say that there was a very serious uh, crime that was committed once in Sydney and uh, they found fingerprints from police at this scene. Some of the police worked 40 kilometres away. So they all came in to have a sticky beak. Right. And the entire scene was pretty well destroyed. So it's very important once a police officer sees something that looks as though it's going to be serious, mm. they back off. No one's allowed in except the scientific investigators.
2: Okay. But when you get to a crime scene, for example, uh, you arrive at the house, the um, the story a couple of episodes ago about the hoarder, when you got there and the place had been lit up and kind of prepared for you, what's the first thing you do when you enter? Like what's your first... Take photographs. Fo- oh, photos first. Okay. Photos
3: first. Because it's really really important to preserve the scene because once you start to go into a scene a little bit like it's called destructive archaeology mm. where as you go deeper and deeper you are actually destroying evidence to get to whatever yeah okay so you know when you go into a scene you're actually going to 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 you know tamper with things perhaps inadvertently Mm. that's really important also years and years later when you go to give evidence in the supreme court the district court you need those photographs to be able to take you mentally back to that time yeah so use that as a trigger and then it's a matter of you know taking samples and 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 being really smart and clever and trying to get into the mind of the criminal and see you know because you will have been to scenes like this before and you will have learnt and studied a lot at university and you know i mean i know now that it's a university based, you know, sort of forensic degree. But as I said to you before in the day, it was on-the-job training, which I think was really, really, really good. Okay. Okay. I hope I've sort of answered that, you know. I think you have.
2: Yeah, no, I think Violetta will be quite happy. Well, look, uh, keep sending the questions in. And uh, before we finish up, one quick announcement. There's two weeks... Two weeks left until our huge live show. We're doing Loose Units live on stage in Melbourne, so make sure you grab your tickets. There are not many left. Dad is going to be on stage with me, live and uncensored, answering your questions. And to everyone who has sent in questions, yes, we will be doing book signings at the end of the show. No, Dad won't be doing any uh, live singing on stage unless we can somehow coerce him. He's... He looks like he's screaming internally, so I'll, I'll stop pursuing that line of inquiry. So head to the Loose Units Facebook group for ticket links, or you can search Toph in Town Loose Units. It's going to be absolutely epic. It's a Father's Day show because this is a father and son story, so we hope you enjoy it, and don't forget to grab your tickets before they sell out. We'll see you next week, but in the meantime, Loose Units is proudly presented by Pillow Talk Productions.